Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you with us as we continue our series at the movies. In this series, as we look at various movies and their themes, we'll also look at what Scripture says about them. Today, we look at some ideas in hidden figures. Lead pastor David Fossil directs our attention to some mistakes we don't want to make in our lives that we find in the movie. Things like minimizing people, discriminating against others, and complaining. Listen as Pastor Dave gives us some realistic pointers for dealing with those mistakes as we live our lives in today's world. Very good. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, page 1151. Pull it up on your phones or in your Bibles. Uh, grab the study guide. I heard we, we ran out of program. Sorry about that. But if you have a study guide, go ahead and, and grab that. You know, I'm up here watching you guys. And what entertains me the most is watching you eat popcorn. I, I kid you not. Some of you are very reserved. And, and then there's others of you. I mean, it's very, very entertaining to, to watch. But uh, how many of you watch the film Hidden Figures? Yeah, quite a few of you. Uh, very entertaining film. Uh, and it's got a lot of kind of life lessons, which is kind of the whole point of our series, where we take a movie, allow it to introduce themes and see what Scripture has to say about it. If you've not watched the film, it's the story of uh, three incredibly intelligent African-American women working at NASA during the 1960s. One of them is a mathematician. Uh, also called a human computer in the day because they didn't have real computers. Uh, another's a supervisor, and then there's an engineer. And they play a critical role in what NASA's trying to do. At the time, in the 1960s, we're in a, in a race against the Russians to get a man to the moon and a man in space and all that. They play this, a very critical role, but NASA kind of looks down on them. And they look down on them, again, 1960s, because they're, they're not only women, but they're black women, right? And they're, they're not kind of given their due for the contribution they're making. And so what we're going to do in the way I've kind of organized what we want to look at this morning is I want to talk to you about three mistakes uh, that you, you don't want to make. Three mistakes I, and more importantly, Scripture and the Bible tell you you don't want to do, okay? If you have your notes, here's the first thing I want you to write down. The first mistake, don't minimize anyone's contribution. Really, that's kind of the, the theme of the title, right? There are, with any great contribution, normally there are people that, that, that are behind the scenes. Normally there are, there are hidden figures, right? Normally there are individuals that are, are doing things that you and I don't see, but they're playing a critical role in accomplishing something good, something special. This could be someone at home, right? Um, this could be someone at work. This could be someone at church, right? Hidden figures, behind the scene folks, don't minimize them. Um, Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 has an entire chapter about this point. Making sure you and I don't minimize the contribution of hidden figures, okay? If you have a Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I want to read to you uh, what, what Paul has to say. And I'm going to start, let me see here, I'm going to start in verse... 14. He uses an illustration of a church and he, he, he compares us to a body. Verse 14, even so the body is not made up of one part, but it's made up of many. So if the foot should say, now obviously we know feet can't talk, but he's trying to use this illustration. If a foot could speak 
and would say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that it would, for not that reason, cease to be part of the body. Verse 16, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. So he's emphasizing we all, we all form one body, we're all one team, we're all one church, ultimately. If the whole body were an ear, everybody did the same thing, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were, were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, if we all did the same thing, where, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, many individuals, many positions, but there's only one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem, here it comes, that seem to be weaker, seem to be less important, right? Even those parts are indispensable, indispensable. And the parts that we, right, we have the wrong thinking. If we think they're less honorable, less important, no, we should treat them with special honor and with special value. And it's this idea, right, don't minimize the contributions of anyone. Now, Paul, in, in this passage, he, there's, a, there's a lot in here, but he basically makes four points that I want to kind of unpack with you. Verse 15, he talks about this idea that everyone is necessary to the team. Everyone is necessary to the body. Everyone is necessary in the church. Verse 17, everyone contributes some way, somehow. Not everybody plays quarterback. You've got to be some guy that you hand the ball off and he runs it. And then there's a guy over here and he catches the ball. And then there's a bunch of guys that, that, that guard and protect. It, everyone has a different role. Everyone contributes some way, somehow. Verse 18, everyone is exactly where God wants them to be. Now, I want you to let that sink in for a moment. Where we're to serve is based upon the unique gifts, unique personality, unique experience that God has given us. Based upon that, we should find a unique place to serve. And wherever that is, that's exactly where God wants you to be. You see, in life, at home, mom and dad tell us where we need to be. At, at work, boss tells us where we need to be. If you're on a team, coach tells you where you need to be. At church, it's not the pastor that tells you where you should be. It's God, based upon who he's created you to be. He's got you exactly where he wants you to be, right? Based upon all those things, verse 22 and following, everyone should be valued and honored. Every position should be valued and honored. Now, here's what's interesting. Staff members at, at Bay Hills, like myself, board members at Bay Hills, we all value tremendously people behind the scenes, the hidden figures that make up Bay Hills. You know what I've noticed? And it's a weird little thing. Sometimes the very people that work behind the scenes, the very people that have jobs and positions that aren't on stage. It, it's those people that minimize their own contribution. Let me just give you a couple examples. When I hear anybody say something like this, well, I'm just an usher. I'm just a children's worker. I just work in the office once a week. That word just is minimizing the contribution that you're making to this thing called Bay Hills, to the body, to the church. Because, you know, here's the thing. I, I, don't, I don't read it in Corinthians 12. There's no position that, well, you're just A. Does that make sense? And, and then there's, there's other things. There's things that I see you do that minimize the importance of what you're doing. Let, can, can I just be your pastor for a second? Yes. 
I, I want to encourage you. I'm basically saying to all of you working, serving behind the scenes, the hidden figures in our lives, you're important, you're significant. But every once in a while, I see you do something. And I want to challenge you a little bit on something. Some of the actions that you're taking are minimizing your contribution. Let me give you one example. Um, every once in a while, I'll see, and I don't want to pick on an usher or I'll see a children's worker or I'll, I'll see when they show up to serve. In other words, let's just say for the sake of an example, they'll show up three, four minutes into the service. And I, I see them. I'm watching them. I'm in the back there. I'm not in charge of ushers. They got head ushers. But let me ask you a question. Let's just reverse it. What would you and I think if someone on stage did that? Think about it for a moment. What if, what if Sam, Sam's playing electric guitar today. What if Sam showed up three, four minutes into the service? He just kind of wandered up on stage. Came over here, tuned up a little bit and started playing halfway through the second song. I, I'm not actually happy with him today. He's wearing a Dodgers shirt and I'm a Cubs fan. So but that's just a personal thing. I'm upset. at. Shut up. <laughs> Honestly, what would we think if someone like that did that? What would you and I think? What the heck is he doing? He, he's an idiot. Not just because of the Dodger shirt, but you can't, you can't do that. That's what we would think. Why is he taking his role like that? Question. Why don't we think the same thing when we as an usher, we as a child's work, children's worker, do the same thing? You see, in your actions, you're minimizing your own contribution. I, I love you and all, but every position is valuable, not just the ones that we mic, not just the ones on stage, every one of them. We all have to change our thinking. They're all significant. They're all important. OK, um, clip number one that we're going to watch is the story is a, is a clip of Catherine Goebbels, the mathematician. She's called upon to do a significant task so that we could send a man in space. I want you to notice She's valued for what she does, but I want you to especially notice how she's treated right at the end of the clip. Let's watch and then we'll talk. There was once an old man who lived high above the Austrian village on the eastern slopes of the Alps. He had been hired by the village council many years ago to clear away, clear away the debris from the pools of water and the mountain crevices that fed the lovely stream flowing through their village. With faithful, silent regularity, he patrolled the hills. He removed the leaves and the branches that would otherwise choke and contaminate the fresh flow of water. The village became popular attraction for visitors. Graceful swans floated along the crystal clear stream. Picnickers gathered along its banks and the view from the local shops was picturesque beyond description. One evening, the council met to review the budget and they noticed the amount that was being paid to this, quote, keeper of the spring. The treasurer asked, who is this keeper of the spring? Why do, keep, why do we keep him on payroll? No one ever sees him. H have any of you ever met this man? Have we ever even seen him work? In my opinion, this person is no longer necessary. Everyone agreed and they voted unanimously to dismiss the old man. For several weeks, nothing much changed. The village went about with its business as usual. But by autumn, the trees began to shed their leaves. Small branches fell into the pools that fed the stream and hindered the rush of clean water to the town. 
One afternoon, someone noticed a yellow, yellowish brown tint in the water. Then a, a slimy film covered the stream. And finally, you could detect a foul order, odor coming from the, the water. The swans left the village, as did the tourists. The economy was in serious peril. Many villagers were also getting sick from drinking the water. An emergency meeting of the village council was held. They quickly realized their error in judgment and immediately rehired the keeper of the spring. Within a few weeks, the beautiful stream came back to life. The swans and visitors gradually returned, as did the vitality and well-being of the little village in the Alps. The keeper of the spring worked behind the scenes and had a job that no one saw and seemed insignificant. And yet, when he was no longer around, the entire village suffered. And the same thing happens at church. There are so many people behind the scenes. There are so many hidden figures. And without them, this thing called church, it doesn't work. And there are some of you that are here and you've already identified Bay Hills as your home. But you're not yet plugged in yet. You're not yet serving somewhere. And some of you aren't because you think, seems like everything's running well without me. Seems like they're doing church just fine without my need to do something And I want to say to you, yes, your perspective is right, but your theology is wrong. Because what this book says is, yeah, we can go on doing church without you, but something somewhere isn't working the way it should because you're not plugged in. And so I want all of us, don't don't minimize anyone's contribution, everyone needs to do their their little part now in your study guide this week i have on the on the front of the first page 10 behind the scenes positions at bay hills hidden figures that we need to participate they're not on stage people essentially look look, look at what, what we have we have hospitality people and ushers and worship tech people bold construction folks youth group leaders growth track operations and then there's four different ones for kids I don't think we've kind of started to talk about it. I don't think I've talked about it on Sunday morning. The board and the staff have kind of decided we think that come February and March, we'll be adding a third service. Now, that's not a problem. It's a blessing. It is, right? If we had 50 people that showed up right now, there's no chairs for them. We give them popcorn, send them on their way. At least they got popcorn out of the deal, right? It's a good problem to have. But you know what we've also determined? If we don't add 70 behind the scenes people, we're not, we can't pull it off. It, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. So I, I need you to change your thinking about yourself. I don't, I don't care if you're one of those behind the scenes hidden figures. Everyone contributes. Everyone is important. No one looked down on any position or any individual. They're all valuable. They're all valuable. Don't make that mistake. Second mistake. Don't discriminate against others. That's one of the main themes in this movie. Um, Obviously, in this movie, there's gender discrimination. These three individuals are looked down upon because they're women. And then there's racial discrimination. They're looked down upon because they're black. I could have picked any one of six different scenes. I picked, in my opinion, the one that spoke to me the most. I think it's a powerful scene. We had to take out a couple of the bad words. Kevin Costner has bad language. But anyway, uh, we'll watch it, and uh, then we'll talk. We all pee the same color. The Bible would say the same thing, just a little differently. 
Solomon says in Proverbs 28, to show partiality is not good. When the Bible speaks of discrimination, that's the word it uses, partiality. It's not good. To prejudge someone for any reason, it's not good. I don't got to tell you, we're kind of going through a, a little bit of a mess and a crisis in our country right now, this issue. I don't know, maybe we're a little bit sheltered in the East Bay because there's so much diversity, but goodness gracious me, what you see on TV, and, it, and it's one group against another group, and then it's just, it's not good. You and I, we can't control what's going on in Charleston or whatever, but, you know, we can control what, what we do, our behavior. We can control what we do in this church and the perspective that we have, and let's just be real clear, discrimination, partiality, it's not good. Paul would say to a young pastor the same message. In 1 Timothy 5, he says, I charge you. In other words, this is not a suggestion, it's a command. I charge you. And notice how he lays it on pretty thick. I charge you in the sight of God and Jesus Christ and the elect angels. I'm not sure what the elect angels are, but that would be an interesting study. But I want to make sure you get it. By God, Jesus, and the elect angels, keep these instructions without partiality, without showing discrimination, and do nothing out of favoritism. Now, in the movie, uh, there's two types of discrimination, as we've already mentioned. There's gender discrimination, and then there's, there's race discrimination. Scripture actually mentions at least four different types of discrimination. Let me show you real quick, and let me go through them rather quickly. Uh, the first one is the obvious one, right, is racism, um, which is discriminating based upon the color of someone's skin. Obviously, we as a country have struggled with this, continue to struggle with it, and especially certain areas and certain groups of folks. Uh, Numbers chapter 12, I'm going to let you read it on your own, but it's an interesting story. Moses, who's kind of an important guy in the Bible, he marries someone. He marries a Cushite woman. He marries an Ethiopian woman. She's black. And his brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam, are beside themselves upset. Oh, my goodness gracious me, he married a black woman? I mean, it's discrimination and racism to its uh, height, right? The best part of the story is when God shows up because he heard what they just said. And, and now there's multiple things going on in this story. They're, they're upset about not following Moses' leadership. But in this particular case, he heard what they said about Moses marrying a black woman and the racist remarks that, and thoughts that they have. There's no question about it when you're reading this story. That God is so ticked off at them and their racist thinking. Do you know what he does to Miriam? He gives her leprosy. He's that upset. You, you want to mess with me on this one? You really? You're going to go there? Watch this. You get to have leprosy. Make no mistake about it. There is nowhere, nowhere in Scripture, in fact, exactly the opposite that, that puts different races or different colors of skin at different levels. We're all on the same level in Jesus Christ. My daughter, Julia, is 13 now, about two, three years ago. She was talking to me something about school, and one of her friends at school 
And, uh, you know, every once in a while I'll get someone, to, I don't know if you get this, it's especially when we're looking to hire someone, which is interesting. And then they start doing demographic studies and studies of our area. And they're like, oh my goodness gracious, the crime rate. Oh my goodness gracious, the schools. Oh my. And they talk about all the bad stuff, right? One of the fun things that I like about, certainly we have something to work on, but one of the things that I especially appreciate about this area is the racial diversity. Uh, three years ago, my daughter, she was the only blonde white girl in her class. And Sandy and I like that. We like that. So back to the conversation, she's talking to me about her friend. And uh, I, I'm like, well, who is this? And she goes, well, she's the, she's the really tall one. I, I don't know who that is. She's the one with, with skinny legs. She always wears crazy, you know, leggings. And I, I don't know who it is. She's the girl with the black hair or whatever. I, I still don't know who it is. Okay, whatever. So we continue with the story. She left. And Sandy was at the computer. She popped in and she says, you know what's really interesting about the last three minutes? Listening to Julia trying to describe her friend to you. Not once during the three minutes did she ever think of using the color of her skin to describe who she was. Her friend is black. And not once did she say she's the tall black friend that wears leggings. There's nothing wrong with using that as a descriptor. But the fact that my daughter and my kids growing up in this area to some extent are colorblind when they look at people warmed my heart. And it made me think, I wonder if God looks at us the same way, because I think he does. I'm pretty certain when I look at scripture, he does not describe us based upon the color of our skin, but instead the condition of our heart. And he says, I want my people to do the same. And you and I, we can't fix politics and we can't fix and determine what's going on in the NFL with players, but we can determine and control how we treat one another here. And how we treat one another in our neighborhoods and at work. It's critically important that we get this. Let me add one more thing. I'm going to spend just a little more time. I want to make sure you understand that affinity-based friendships are okay and understandable. What, what do I mean by that? Affinity is when you are like someone else. Maybe you're like them because you're at the same stage of life and you both have kids the same age. Sometimes you hang out with those people a lot because your kids are doing stuff the same. Or, or maybe you work at the same place, affinity. Or maybe you like doing the same thing. So I end up hanging out with a lot of people that play golf and do sports because I like doing that stuff. And sometimes our friendships, sometimes are, 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 are conditioned by race or ethnicity. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'll give you an example. Just recently, I've noticed in the last two, three months, we've had a, a, a pretty large group of Brazilians start coming to the church, Bay Hills, right? There was a bunch first service. I don't know. There's probably a few here today. You know what I've noticed? After church, the Brazilians, I, I've met some of them. They're all hanging out together, talking to each other. You know why? Because they all speak Portuguese and you don't. <laughs> Is there anything wrong with them doing that? No. Absolutely not. Their ethnicity and their background conditions their friendship. We have a small group here at Bay Hills. It's a Spanish-only small group. Do you know why? Because there's a number of people at Bay Hills, while they understand English, they have a difficult time speaking it right now. So they want to go to a, to a group where they can actually talk about what Scripture says. Is there anything wrong with that group? No, it's good, right? So I want you to know affinity-based friendships, even sometimes that are ethnically driven, are understandable and okay. However... Along with that principle, you need to understand that Scripture speaks of diversity friendships are encouraged. Affinity friendships are okay, but diversity friendships, someone that is different than you, especially color skin, are encouraged. 
Same example. After church, not only do I see some of the Brazilians together talking, I see Filipinos together talking. Right? They're talking Tagalog, whatever. I don't know. I think they're talking about us, right? right? Now, let me just say to the Filipinos, here, listen to me carefully. We like lumpia as well. And you need Filipinos becoming friends with white and white becoming friends with African-American and African-American becoming friends with Hispanics and Hispanics becoming friends with African-Africans. We have African-Africans here, not African-Americans, African-Africans. We got we got a guy from Turkey started showing up. He's not a Turkey. He's from Turkey. Right. We got Romanians showing up and Russians showing up. You know what? It's so cool because you know what? That's what heaven's going to be like. And we have just a little bit of taste of it. So. Affinity friendships, fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But diversity friendships are encouraged. So go out of your way to try and make that happen. Another kind of discrimination that is spoke of in scripture is called classism. That's basically looking down on someone. And James uh, chapter two speaks of when someone were being looked down upon because they're poor. They're poor. Do you hear where they live? And in James, it says, not only is that wrong, it uses the word sin. That's sinful. It's sinful to do that. You know, I really do. I really do. One of the things I enjoy about this church is its ethnic diversity. We weren't always like that. We wanted to, but we just weren't. At least a little bit, we reflect this community. And I like that about our church. But you know what I think is even more impressive and what I like even more is the cultural diversity. Let me explain what I mean. You can have a white guy and a Hispanic guy and a black guy and a Filipino guy, and they're basically the same guy culturally. They live in the same neighborhood. They make the same kind of money. They work at the same company. They do the same kind of stuff. They have the same education. Yes, they have different color skin, but essentially they're the same guy. But cultural diversity is vastly different. That's when you have someone who's really, really rich and someone who's really, really poor. And you have someone that, 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 that basically squeaked by high school, has a GED, and someone else that has a PhD. You have someone that shows up to church in a suit and then someone that shows up in shorts. You have someone that lives in a mobile home park and someone that lives in a six-bedroom mansion, right? You have someone who has a lot in their bank account, not a lot in their bank account. Someone who's blue-collar, someone who's, who's, who's white-collar, right? We, and we've got all of that here. We've got cat lovers and we got dog lovers we got raider nation and 40 whiners we got all the different kind of groups at the church sorry that was bad i i was exactly what i don't want you to do my bad that was all on me guys listen to me very carefully we have a little bit of fun with this but listen don't look down on someone because they're less or more educated than you don't look down on someone because they're less or more wealthy than you Don't look down on someone because they do that job and you do this job. It's not good. It's not right. It's not Christ-like. It's called classism. Another one is called ageism. I don't know. I don't know how else to say it. But that's when you discriminate against someone's age. Against their, their age. Paul talks to a young pastor, Timothy. And at first, Timothy says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But normally we don't do that. I mean, young is cool. Young is hip. Young is sexy. Everyone wants to be young, right? But in that case, it was, you know, you should still be able to serve in the church. Could I take it the nth degree, the other side? Because how about the other one? There's a verse in the book of Leviticus. You can look it up later. It's on the screen. Leviticus 19.32. You want to know what it says? It says, show respect for the elderly. Show respect for the elderly. 
I went to a conference with a bunch of our kids' workers and team, and they gave me this book at the conference. It's called Growing Young. Growing Young. Six Essential Strategies to Help Young People Discover and Love Your Church. And the whole book is based upon this idea that healthy churches are churches that are reaching young families and healthy churches have a good youth group and healthy churches have a good kids group. Because what? We all want that, right? Because we want church to go on 20 years from now, 30, 40 years from now when we're not here. So you need young people to make that happen. I'm all for growing young. As long as we look at the option and the alternative as well. Just as important to grow young. You know what we also have to do? We have to grow old. You know why? Because the gospel aren't just for young people. It's for older people as well. And so let me just be as clear as I can as the pastor. Yeah, yeah. one of our priority ministries is kids ministries and youth ministries. But I want to make sure that I speak as clear as I can. If If you're here today and you're retired, if you're here today and you have white hair or gray hair, oh, no, or no hair, okay? If you get discounts at the movies or at Denny's because of your age, if, if when, it, if when it, it's 8.30 at night, you're thinking it's bedtime, you know who you are, right? I want you to know we're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. Not only are we glad you're here, we need you here. Yes, we need young people, just as we need older people, because you have something to contribute that younger people can't contribute yet. Don't look down on someone because of their age. And we have a tendency in our society for a lot of the old people, right? Be careful with that. That's not good. It's not good. The last one, I don't have much time to talk about it, but sexism is when you look down on someone or treat them different based upon their gender. I'm not going to talk a lot about the political area or educational area or what's happened in the corporate world. I think we're making good strides there. Let me just talk just a real quick about the church. Uh, Galatians 3 talks about when you are in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, and there's neither slave nor free. There's neither, neither woman nor man. We're all in the same. And I grew up under a tradition where um, women were only allowed to work with kids or with youth. Now, I, I want to make sure I'm clear that Um, I really appreciate growing up in a tradition that held God's word in a high regard. But as best as I could tell over the years, I do think that maybe some of the passages that relate to women and women in ministry, maybe the church that I grew up on misinterpreted just a little bit. Um, I do think there are different roles for men and women in family and in some cases in church, but I don't think God chooses who to give spiritual gifts to based upon gender so i see women that have been given incredible gifts of leadership and incredible gifts of teaching and if they've been given that gift you know i struggle as a pastor to think about well they should be able to use that gift within the context of a church and i realized for some of you i may be opening a can of worms but you know we at one point in time had a pastor here at this church that was a woman linda and she served as overseeing children's ministries and small groups and we have women now that teach small groups that men are involved in. That would have never happened in the church I grew up in. We've had women teach at Thanksgiving service. You know, and I, I'm just going to lay, I, I know I have to go over and teach it with some of you a little bit more, but I, I personally, and I, again, I have to teach more on this maybe for some of you. I wouldn't have a problem have, listening to someone teach on Sunday morning that was female. And so I, uh, I just, the big picture is this. 
Don't look down on people. Don't discriminate people. It's not Christ-like. Not the color of their skin. Not the amount in their checkbook. Not their gender. And not their age. Don't do it. It's not Christ-like. The last one, I'm going to make this last one fairly quick, is don't complain. I know it's not one of the main themes in the movie, but I didn't want to talk about marriage and courtship, which I think is very well presented in this movie. Uh, There is a couple scenes on this topic, so let's watch it, and then we'll we'll wrap it up. (laughs) In case you're wondering, I'm pretty sure it was iced tea in the jar. I just, I think... Exodus chapter 17 uh, is the story of the Jews in the wilderness. What you, one of the things you see about the Jews in the wilderness, they were constantly whining, constantly complaining, constantly grumbling. Why I have this verse for you up on the screen is because it connects grumbling and complaining to a spiritual matter, to a faith matter. There was no water for the people to drink, so they quarreled with Moses and they said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why, why are you quarrel, quarrel with me? Watch. Why do you put the Lord to the test? See, complaining and grumbling isn't just, oh, life isn't great and look what's happening to me and my back hurts. There's a spiritual component to it. There's a faith component to some some of our grumbling. But the people were thirsty for water and they, they grumbled and they complained against Moses. Maybe the fact that there is a spiritual faith component to grumbling helps us understand what Paul says in Philippians 2. Do everything. That's the key word. Everything. Do everything without grumbling, complaining, or arguing. See, what he's, he's not saying you have to pretend. You don't have to pretend there aren't any problems in life. But the manner in which you talk about it matters. So instead of whining about it, you've you got to change your tone. Or maybe instead of talking to people in the lobby about it, go over there to the prayer room and have someone pray with you about it. But watch your complaining. Watch your grumbling. In your study guide, I give you, there's all kinds of examples of complainers. See, see if you recognize yourself or the person next to you. Okay, this will be really fun exercise. This will be so exciting. You have the whiner. They are constantly saying it's not fair. You know, they're the person that wake up grouchy. They think they're the only ones that have problems. The martyr. Right. Everyone's out to get me forever. The victim filled with self-pity. Talk to this person for 30 minutes. You want someone to take you out back and shoot you. It drives you crazy. The cynic. Nothing will ever improve. Yesterday was always better. The perfectionist. Right. Nothing's good enough. They focus on details to a fault. The critic. They always find something wrong. Always. They're criticizing. They're negative. The wet blanket. They'll tell you why it won't work. They're the they're the glass half full kind of a person. The moaner, they don't say much, but they're constantly groaning and sighing. Hey, how you doing? (sighs) (sighs) Drives me crazy. I want to give them the Heimlich after they do that. You okay? (laughs) It's not good. Stop. It's not good. Now, real quick, because I'm out of time. Real quickly, how do you fix it? Let me give you the solution. Three things. Number one, admit it's a problem. Proverbs 28, 13. People who conceal their sin, people who hide their problem will not prosper. But if you admit it, if you confess it, there's hope, there's mercy. For many of you, this may not be your issue. But if it's your issue, listen up. Listen up. Admit it. I have a tendency when I talk about issues, when I talk about problems, to be a little bit of a grumbler, to be a little bit of a whiner, to be a little bit of a... Admit it. Because until you admit it, you have no hope of improving. 
Second of all, you can't just eliminate it. You have to replace it. Develop an attitude of gratitude. First Thessalonians five, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Is it just me or have we gone through like three months where every other week there's some major disaster? Have you noticed this? I mean, it's this, it's the floods and it's Houston and it's Vegas and then it's the fires and it's like it never, it's not ending, right? You know, what's interesting. So often, be, be honest, so often we don't realize how much we have until it's been taken from us. I bet you not many of us woke up this morning and said, thank you, God, I can walk. Most of us, I can, I don't think I see anyone that could, we walk today, we can see today. Now, I'm not saying you don't have issues. I don't have issues. We got issues. But there's so much good to say, God, thank you. That's, that's all the Bible's saying. Thank you. Have an attitude of gratitude. The last one is take responsibility. And by that, I mean, you, you realize some of the things you're complaining about are your fault. Oh, this is a great way to end the service. I'll let you let, let you look it up later, but let me read to you what Proverbs 19.3 says. I'm going to read it to you from the Good News Translation. Listen carefully. Some people ruin themselves by their own stupid mistakes. You ever been there? Come on now. Some people ruin themselves. You jacked up your life on your own by your own stupid mistakes. And here's how it ends. And then they blame the Lord God. Ouch. Guys, have, have the maturity to say, you know, some of the mess in my life, it's my own fault. You and I have no right to complain about that. We're reaping what we sow. Here's our summary slide. I tried to put some of it half positive instead of don't, don't, don't. Appreciate behind the scenes. Appreciate folks behind the scenes. And, and if that's you, appreciate the contribution you make at your home, at your work, at your church. You don't have to get wired up and have a microphone stand on stage to be significant and important in God's eyes. You matter. And we should acknowledge and appreciate people like that. Second of all, show respect to and value everyone. I sure hope I got my point across, but discrimination is not good in God's eyes. And again, we, we can't control what's happening around our country, but we can control what happens here. And we can control what happens in our neighborhood. We can control our own actions. Start there. Start there. Look people in the eye. Show them respect, regardless of what language they speak or regardless of their age, regardless of the color of their skin. Treat them kindly. And finally, I, I didn't know how to say it any other way. Just stop complaining and grumbling. Okay? I hope one of those really speaks to you because I, I think God, he didn't bring us here just to eat popcorn and watch clips. Okay? He, he brought us here to, to learn something, to change something. Okay, I have one final clip, but I'm over time. So what we're going to do is we're going to stand, pray. If you want to stay and watch the last clip, great. If not, go get your kids. Let's stand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you that uh, we could come to church today, worship you, and uh, learn a little bit. Father, we pray for the folks and that are going through the fires and lost their homes. Encourage them, give them hope, uh, keep them safe. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast 
or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, exists to help everyone take their next step closer to Jesus. Thanks again for listening.